Father, we thank you so much, not only that we are saved, but that you've given us your word to which we hear and believe and are saved. Your word that encourages us, it, it teaches us, it corrects us and trains us in righteousness. Lord, prepare our hearts. May our hearts be open to hearing and receiving your word today. And may we benefit all the more from being here to, to hear it. And Lord, help us not to just hear it, but to put it into practice. Pray this, for this we pray, for your glory and honour, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went upon a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for, for theirs is the, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our church here has a vision, and the vision is this. Lives transformed by the good news of Jesus throughout the Flurio region. This morning, particularly as we're about to enter into a new year, I'd like to reflect with you on some of what a transformed life can look like, how Jesus, by his spirit and grace, can transform our lives through faith in him and the blessings that go with this. And to do this, we'll think about the teaching in the reading we've just heard, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. We may have heard of the expression, he's, she's got an attitude. Well, that statement generally carries with it a negative connotation or suggestion. Perhaps we could summarise today's reading with that statement. He, she's got an attitude. But in this case, it is an attitude that is blessed. For here Jesus describes beautiful attitudes. Beautiful attitudes that mark his followers, those who have faith in him, those who have come to him and know his grace. They are his disciples. Now these are commonly called the Beatitudes, from the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, and so on. And Billy Graham called them the bootiful attitudes. And the Beatitudes describe the type of people who are trusting in Jesus. The features of those who are following him, learning from him, the character of those coming after Jesus and the blessings given to such people. Now imagine a pad of cartoons and each page 
is a little bit different from the other, but rifled through, they form an overall picture. Well, here are a number of attitudes and qualities that together form an overall picture of genuine Christian character and the blessings of God that go with these. Before we look at them, let's just notice the place and the people for this teaching of Jesus. Firstly, the place. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. In the Old Testament, there was a man called Moses and he went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he received the laws and the words of God. And Moses told the people that one day God would send another prophet and that they must listen to him. Well, here is Jesus, who is that promised prophet, but also the Son of God, who brings God's word fully to us. And the people to whom he preached. When he sat down, his disciples came to him. So his teaching was given to disciples, that is, followers, learners, pupils, but after his sermon or his teaching, we read this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And so others, more on the fringe, as it were, overheard this teaching as well, and they were astonished at the authority of it. Well, he sat down, and that's what a rabbi would do in those days to explain the word of God. And he opened his mouth and taught them. That's a sort of shorthand phrase, alerting us to listen very carefully to what he's going to teach. So let's do just that now. Where does he start? He starts with this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or, oh, the blessedness of the poor in spirit. Or the bliss of the poor in spirit. Or the joy of the poor in spirit. Jesus is declaring what God thinks of those who are poor in spirit. They are blessed. We could think of blessed as made happy by God. To have God's favour in a marked way to be in a happy place or a happy position. And blessed is also a term of congratulation. The poor in spirit are the type, the sort of people to be congratulated, the sort of people made happy by God, the people who are in a happy place or position. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When we think of the poor, we might think of people who have nothing and are destitute or up to their eyes in debt. And the poor in Bible times were such people, helplessly poor, who had nothing, virtually beggars, if not beggars, and who humbly put their whole trust in God alone. For example, in Psalm 34, verse 6, this poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
And so the poor in spirit are those who acknowledge their spiritual poverty, bankruptcy even, before God, who realise they are in debt to God and they're without spiritual merit and ability and they throw themselves on God's mercy and love. They realise their own utter helplessness without God and they put their whole trust in God. Martin Luther said, we are all beggars. And preacher Charles Spurgeon said, learn this lesson, not to come to Christ because you are fit, but to come to him because you're unfit to come. Your fitness is your unfitness. Your qualification is your unqualification. And Augustus Toplady, who wrote that lovely hymn, Rock of Ages, expressed the idea of being poor in spirit in his hymn in these words. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour or I die. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is theirs here and now, as well as in a future eternity. In his letter to the Philippian church, Paul could say, our citizenship is in heaven. And in commenting on this Bible teacher, John Blanchard writes, Christians are not children of earth trying to get to heaven. They are children of heaven making their way home where they will enter into the sinless, deathless, endless, glorious fullness of all that their heavenly Father has in store for them, the kingdom prepared from the foundation of the world. No wonder Jesus calls them blessed. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Christian life, then, is not all laughter. Or as someone has said, it's wrong to say Christians must never be unhappy, and it's wrong to say Christians must always be happy. Blessed are those who mourn. How happy are the unhappy? Mourning speaks of sorrow. What sorrow is this primarily referring to? The sorrow of repentance, grieving over one's sins, one's spiritual poverty, over the loss perhaps of one's innocence or righteousness or self-respect. This mourning is essentially a godly grief that produces repentance towards God. The old Church of England Book of Common Prayer in the service for Holy Communion had a prayer, we bewail our manifold sins and wickedness. There is such a thing as Christian tears. Jesus himself wept over Jerusalem because it wouldn't receive him. That is, he wept over the sin of others. There's a psalm in the Old Testament scriptures that says, My eyes shed streams of tears because men do not keep your laws. 
And so there can be mourning over the, the evil in the world, over the suffering and death which sin spreads through the world. In the Old Testament book of Ezra we read, he ate no food and drank no water because he continued to mourn over the unfaithfulness of the exiles. And in the New Testament, Paul in his letter to the Philippian church wrote, for as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And the promise is they shall be comforted indeed by the free forgiveness of God. A hymn puts it well. Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free for God. The just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Consolation. Consolation was to be one of the offices of the Messiah. He would bind up the brokenhearted. And the word comfort in the Bible includes the idea of being strengthened, uh, being made strong. Come fought. Fought to make strong. And it's God's love and his grace, his forgiveness and his cleansing to us in Christ that does make us strong. It strengthens us and comforts those who mourn over sin. And in the book of the Revelation, we are promised this. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the future comfort. And death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are those who allow their spiritual poverty, acknowledged and mourned over, to condition their behaviour to God and to other people. The meek are not weak or spineless, but they are gentle and humble people, and yet strong and in control of themselves and keep their call under provocation. In Numbers 12, Moses is said to be the meekest man, yet he was obviously a very strong leader. Supremely in Jesus, meekness was seen. The Son of God from heaven allowed himself to suffer at the hands of sinful men. He said, come to me and learn from me. I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And yet how strong he was. The meek are not resentful, bear no grudge, don't mull over nurse injuries received, but they find refuge in the Lord and commit their way entirely to him. David was a meek man. He wouldn't lay a finger over Saul, King Saul, the Lord's anointed, in spite of the fact that Saul attempted to do away with David. And when Jesus was reviled, the Apostle Peter says, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he trusted to him who judges justly. The meek are willing to suffer rather than to inflict injury. 
They leave everything in God's hands who loves them and cares for them. And one day God will give the world to such people. They'll inherit the earth, the life that God alone can give. Indeed, the new heaven and earth. They are co-heirs with Christ. Paul could say, all things are yours. That is, if we are Christ's. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The words here, hunger and thirst, are really carrying the idea of desperately hungry and thirsty, parched, if you like, starving. I read a book, Mr Stewart's Track. It's about the famous Australian explorer, John McDill Stewart. He tried, I think, six times to get from Adelaide to the top of Australia, and each time he went without food and water. Supplies ran down, out, and they were parched. They were starving. Thankfully, they came across a creek or a waterhole or bush tucker. So the idea here is blessed are those who are desperate for righteousness, greatly desire it, You may remember some years ago, I think it was now, the TV program Consuming Passion. As you might guess, it was to do with food. Well, that's the idea here. Blessed are those who have a consuming passion for true goodness. And this sort of goodness or this righteousness can include not only personal moral righteousness, but also social righteousness, concern for justice, maybe in law courts, integrity in business, promotion of civil rights and honour and respect in the home. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled or satisfied. Yes, they will be in this life, but ultimately in the new heaven and earth when every desire of our perfected hearts will be met in full for we will be like Jesus himself. We will see him as he is. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Well, to be merciful is to pity those who suffer from sin or sorrow, to try to make their suffering less. It is to show love and compassion for those in misery, to help, relieve, heal, It is a kindly feeling and a kindly act. It is a forgiving spirit. Well, we no doubt have heard of the expression, he or she is a good Samaritan. That's really taken, isn't it, from a parable Jesus told about a Jewish man who was travelling and he was attacked and robbed and left half dead. There were two other men, they were religious Jews, They were travelling, they saw him, but they did pass by on the other side. They did nothing. But then came a third traveller. He was a Samaritan. He stopped, he helped him the best he could in spite of the fact that the Jews despised the Samaritans and probably wouldn't have helped the Samaritan if he'd been the one attacked and robbed. And after telling the parable, Jesus asked his listener a question. Which of these three do you think proved neighbour to the one who fell among the robbers? And he replied, 
the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And so to show mercy, to be merciful, includes acting like the Samaritan acted to the injured Jew, to do something to help, to relieve, that's not deserved, even to an enemy and indeed being concerned for their salvation. God the Father has been merciful to us. He gave his only son. He gave him up on that cross while we were undeserving, undeserving sinners, even enemies of God. God is rich in mercy. And so having received mercy from our Father through his Son, let us in turn show mercy to others. And as we do, our fellowship with God will be strong and real each day in being merciful to others and not refusing to be merciful. I will be able to more confidently come to God for the forgiveness I need to keep close to God. Someone has said, the more we try to reflect in our dealings with others the mercy God has shown us, the more of God's mercy we will experience. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In our pantry at home, <coughs> there's a pot and the uh, The words on the pot are these, Adelaide Hills, Gumaraka, pure honey. So I take it that there's no artificial colourings or flavours. In short, it's unmixed. And the pure in heart are the unmixed in heart, if you like, the sincere in heart. Not devious, not deceitful, not putting on a mask or play acting, but a single heart rather than a double-minded they live one life and they live it in the open. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall know him intimately and have fellowship with him. They will see him by faith even now better and one day face to face in glory. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Well, peacemakers are those who make peace, who endeavour to make peace by their prayers, by their words, by their example, to do what they can to help bring people into a right relationship with each other if it's broken down, and above all with God. And so Christians are co-workers with God, God's peace core, if you like. We read in the New Testament then things like this, Strive for peace with all men. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. I guess we all realise, though, that peacemaking can be costly. It certainly was for God. It was at tremendous cost that he made peace with us, the blood of his own son. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And there can be a cost for us as well, can't there? 
maybe the cost of the pain of trying to ease tensions or seeking a reconciliation or breaking down barriers, apologising or even rebuking. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That is owned or acknowledged as sons of God. They are seeking to do what their father has done, loving people with his love, reflecting his peacemaking character and behaviour. The son of God was the peacemaker. And to conclude, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when men persecute you on my account. That is out of loyalty to to the Lord, because you want to live in conformity and harmony with God's character and will. And I guess when we boil it down, persecution of Christian disciples is basically the result of a clash of value systems or worldviews, the result of a person doing right because of Jesus and the gospel. If people are in a state of enmity to God himself, it's not surprising that they will show that hostility to the people of God, their standards and their godly life. But Jesus says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. So rejoice, don't retaliate, don't pay back, and be glad, for there is a great reward in heaven. And so persecution can be refining. It can strengthen and refine God's people, and it will be rewarded. Well, as ever, Jesus was honest, wasn't he? He didn't promise us a cushion or talk about a cushion, but a cross. And elsewhere to the disciples, shortly before his crucifixion, he could say this. In the world, you will have tribulation. Tribulation comes from the word tribulus, a threshing sledge. But he adds, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And in him we are overcomers. Well, brothers and sisters, we began by reminding ourselves of the church's vision. Lives transformed by the good news of Jesus. We have reflected on some of what a transformed life by Jesus, his grace and spirit can look like and the blessings of God that go with this. Jesus, by his grace and spirit, can indeed transform anyone. I just want to emphasise that. There's a hymn that says something along those lines. His blood makes the foulest clean. There's hope for anyone. He will transform you too and me as we go into a new year abiding in him. You and I can be confident that he will continue to transform us from glory to glory. Let us pray.
Almighty God, without you we are not able to please you. Mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.